Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, can you split a toaster gently? Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Pete Wright. And today, we're talking about mediation. We're very fortunate today because we have Tammy Zabar, who is an amazing mediator, as our guest today. And just give me, I'm going to give you a little bit of her bio because it's just so impressive. Tammy was admitted to practice law in Florida after graduating from University of Florida College of Law in 1989. She started her legal career as an assistant state attorney working in both domestic violence and the sex crimes division, in addition to felony court. And Pete, she's got the badge to prove it. She has a and ex- badge? <laughs> Hang in she there. has a badge. She'll get to it later. It's going <laughs> to be right over her shoulder. Yeah, it's awesome. After experiencing her own divorce, she became interested in the practice of family law, and in particular, the value of mediation as a priceless benefit for divorcing couples and their families. Tammy was certified by the Florida Supreme Court as a certified mediator in 2000. That same year, she opened her own litigation practice with a focus on marital and family law. As a mediator, her practice grew and grew and grew. She ultimately closed her litigation practice, and she does full-time mediation. She was raised in Tampa, Florida, graduated from Plant High School, Go Panthers, my alma mater, and University of Florida, Go Gators, also an alma mater of mine for law school. And we welcome... Tammy, to the toaster. Thank you. You can all. We have a double alma mater match today. Is that toaster? That goes on toaster bingo. Everybody Seth toaster went bingo. to school with. Oh my yeah. goodness! <laughs> I, I'm older. I'm older than Seth, so <laughs> and, okay. much, and much much wiser. <laughs> well, you know, as long as we're going to be talking about where the bar is set. Look, here's my question. What is it that makes you think, hey, I think I need to get out of sex crimes and uh, become a mediator? How does that work? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I probably always had a bent toward mediation just because I always see gray. So I don't see everything one way or the other. But um, I was uh, a prosecutor at the time that I got a divorce and I hated the way the divorce world worked. And I had a little girl, two years old, and I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And that's really what sent me into mediation because it was so horrible. I mean, we went, we started as friends, police get involved. It's just a nightmare if you do it a certain way. And if you do it a different way, you know, we, we actually became friends again eventually, but it (laughs) took a number of years. Well, I, I think that's a that's a common refrain I think we get, Seth, right, is that uh, people who come on this show who work in the divorce world, as Tammy says, uh, they get involved in the divorce world because they hated the divorce world for their own divorce, right? Like that is not uncommon. Yeah. Like like not. this is it's time I'm going to do something to to see if I can make a dent in this for somebody. Right. And the other thing which no one ever really thinks of divorce in the way that I'm going to say it. It's an industry. Yeah. It's a bit. I run a divorce law firm. I am running a business and it is a multi-billion dollar industry. Once you have lawyer fees, accountant fees, mediation fees, collaborative expert fees, parent coordinator fees, all the people that we've talked to, Pete, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So there are things about the industry that just make my skin crawl. And there's some things that are really good. 
And working with Tammy as a mediator goes on the really, really good side of that equation. Well, let's talk a little bit about mediation. Uh, what What is mediation and why why would somebody choose mediation? Can you walk us through how it works, sort of your stylistic approach to, to helping people through the mediation process? Sure. Where, where we live, it's required before you go to court in the family cases, but many people come to us before it's required, before they filed cases. They um, A lot of people have learned that this is kind of the mechanism which will allow the two parties to work together to try to get to a resolution that works for them both. Um, I mean, obviously, there's no winners in this game. So the idea is like just coming up with a way to lose less and to be able to live with the outcome that you're going to to come up with. And and a lot of these people have to co-parent after we're done. So just getting divorced doesn't mean you're done with that person. They're in your life forever if you have kids together. And let's set the scene on that, Tammy. So Pete, it's different now with COVID, which we don't really need to talk about how we do Zoom mediations because mediations are going to happen well after Zoom. But if someone comes into your office, Tammy, explain to Pete and everyone listening how that actually works. Because some people aren't going to want to sit across the table from their soon-to-be ex-spouse. Right. First of all, for me, it's different whether you come to my office with a lawyer or if you come by yourselves. So when the people come alone, they're pro se. They don't have lawyers. And so that's kind of one grouping of people. And that's the people that I'm talking to right now, probably, that would call me up and I would say, go on my website and look at the calendar and schedule a time. And then you both have to be in agreement to come because that's the first thing that has to happen. The two of them have to agree to come to me at the same time. And I never meet them before. I don't do any intake. They come in um, and at the door, I ask them if they want to work together at the same table or if they want to be in separate rooms. My office is actually an office. uh, And then I have two conference rooms, one on each side. So I have a room for each party. But when they're without lawyers, I often start with them in the same space give them an explanation of what mediation is, and, and then we go from there. We sometimes actually work on the computer drafting an agreement as we talk with, with they don't have lawyers. Now, if they have lawyers, I never put them in the same room. Those stinking lawyers, Pete. Oh, you told the stinking mm-hmm. lawyers, Seth. Uh, chum in the water. That's not how they train us. They want us to, you know, put everybody together, but that's not how I do it. I put everybody in separate rooms. If I have lawyers... The husband goes in a room with his lawyer. The wife goes in a room with her lawyer. And I can manage. I go back and forth, right? And I I always joke with people that I can manage two personalities. So I can either have the husband and the wife together, or I can manage the two lawyers. But I cannot manage all four of their personalities at the same time. And then throw in, throw in a few experts. And <laughs> it's yeah, an yeah, right. So. Oh, yeah. what a circus. Okay. Do you have to, so you don't have to have a lawyer to come in to talk to you. That was actually one of my questions. Like, do you recommend people come in with lawyers or is it just so wildly case dependent? You know, I think it's best if they've at least consulted with a lawyer before they come to mediation, because it's very stressful to mediate for someone who has absolutely no understanding of the law. Um, You know, I've, I've done a, I'm not allowed as a mediator to tell them what the law is. Okay. So I'm a lawyer and I know the law. And I specialize in, in family because that's the area that I practice. And I, I could mediate other things, but I'm most valuable in family because I understand the law in family law. But I'm only allowed to give them legal information, not legal advice. And so if they come in and they've never had legal advice, they might not appreciate what they're giving up if they settle an agreement. As a matter of fact, in my world, I don't let any person who comes to me pro se without a lawyer sign an agreement at my office, I make them leave so that they have an opportunity to consult with a lawyer because, um, 
you know, with married people, you can't always tell what the dynamic of power is and what's going on between the two of them. So I make sure that they leave here so that if one person doesn't have as much power, they have the option to like say, I, I didn't sign that today because it's binding when they sign it. And other thing on that point, Pete, that is very difficult for mediators such as Tammy when they're dealing with people who are not represented by lawyers. Since Tammy can't give legal advice, she could know that this party is giving away the farm. So an example of that is if they say, well, it's fair. I'll keep my 401k. You keep your 401k. And one 401k has got a million dollars in it. And the other one has 20 bucks. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's something that I haven't I, I it took me a second to wrap my head around. If they come in without an attorney and you can't tell them you can't tell them like it feels like the balance of power could be off even unintentionally and there's nothing like your hands are tied there's nothing you can do about it right but i i think part of the problem is what seth was talking about earlier about the industry even very wealthy people will come to me without lawyers because they don't want to get into a situation where they're going to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on their litigation and so they you know but sometimes i'll be talking to a person who's you know been married 25 or 30 years who doesn't work and doesn't know they could get alimony you know that's like a difficult scenario because i can't advise that person um and what i can if the way to think about it is i can never harm one side so if i'm going to say something to somebody that's going to negatively impact the other person then i don't say it so she can't tell that person you might be entitled to permanent alimony because that could harm the guy that then or the woman on the other side that has to pay it okay you follow that so, Pete? i do i uh sidebar um yeah uh, pete likes to use these fancy legal terms <laughs> you know what's Tammy, great though you know, you know you're just feeding the machine because you said yeah <laughs> as if that was just the right thing for me to say is, and now i'm gonna say it all the time who is it that like you're an attorney uh right but do you have to be an attorney to be a mediator and who who no. watches you that's a, that's a great uh question because in family law three different types of people can certify to be a mediator. You can be a therapist, you can be an accountant, or you can be an attorney. Now, the value of the attorneys are we know actually how to write up the agreement, because like when therapists write up an agreement, which they're much better at handling the personalities, you know, they're therapists, but they don't know how to write an agreement that can work in the law. Sometimes I mediate cases that are divorced that had a therapist write up the agreement and it doesn't help. They don't understand. They didn't know what to say to make it so that the parties understand it. But, and, and frankly, you don't have to be certified. So I suspect anyone could be a mediator who wanted to mediate if someone would pay them to mediate, but to be a certified mediator through the Florida Supreme court, you have to be one of those three fields if it's family law. Yep. And like what I always say is check your local jurisdiction, right? Yeah. Pete? So right. what we were talking about was that you, you can't harm one side. Uh, and Seth, I feel like i I derailed you a little bit. Where were you going with no, that? No, that's my, so that's what's just really hard when you don't have lawyers. Because if a lawyer is in the room, Tammy isn't going to raise issues that aren't raised. But Tammy, I use Tammy frequently in mediations. And the rule in mediation is anything that Tammy and I talk about in my room with my client is confidential. She's not even allowed to go in the other room and tell them what we said unless I give her permission to do so. Now, what I do with Tammy, because I've worked with her so often and she's amazing at her job, I say, Tammy, you can say anything we say in this room. It helps the flow of the information unless I tell you otherwise. So, for example, I might say, Tammy, don't share this with the other room. This is it. 
this is going to be our, our offer. We're not going below this line. Okay. I'm giving you that information so you can gauge where we are in this mediation process because I don't want to sit here if we're $10,000 apart on a monthly alimony claim and we're never going to bridge that gap. So I'm telling you what my bottom line is, but don't share that. Okay. 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 Um, Or we could have some concerns about the behavior of a parent and how they deal with the kids, but I don't want to raise that. I'll tell Tammy our concerns, but I don't want her to raise it in the other room because it could blow up the mediation process, one, or two, maybe I'm holding that back for litigation purposes. Mm-hmm. But it's important for the mediator to know. When you have a lawyer, it's like a, it's almost a totally different animal because I the lawyers play off my knowledge by asking me questions or sometimes they actually want me to tell the law. So this is what I say in my intro when I'm talking to a person who has a lawyer. I tell them that because they have a lawyer in the room, I'm allowed to talk about the law. But if I say anything that their lawyer disagrees with, the lawyer's right, and I'm wrong because I'm not giving legal advice. Well, that allows me to have this whole playoff with the lawyer where I might say to Seth, well, you know, Seth, what are your odds that you're going to win on this argument that you're making in here? Mm -hmm. And then he'll say zero or whatever, or 100%, or it's like a really low chance. Before we focus on the zero, Pete, let let me repeat back that something Tammy says, and she knows this is my favorite part of our opening. Every time I mediate with her, she has to say, when Seth and I disagree, Seth is right and I am wrong. (laughs) I mean, that is worth the price of admissions right there. But the other thing to understand, Pete, is that sometimes the lawyer is looking for the mediator to help them get the case settled. If they're a good lawyer, that's what they're trying to do, which might mean they need the mediator to say to their own client, to the lawyer's client, exactly what the lawyer has been telling them. So if I have a client that says, I want you to argue this, I want you to argue this, I said, look, we are not going to win this argument. It's beneficial when Tammy comes in and I say, Tammy, I know that your opinion doesn't really count because you're the mediator, but what do you think of this? And she'll say, my mediation, my opinion doesn't matter, but I've been doing this a long time. That doesn't seem like a winner to me. And now there's this other party other than the client's own lawyer telling them, no, that's not going to work. Lawyers tell me all the time that their client hearing it again sometimes makes it gel. Yeah. You you know, they'll, or I'll say, how are you going to prove that that's a non-marital asset? And, and the lawyer will tell me the argument and I'll say, I don't understand that argument. And and then the party starts to realize that there's a legal thing here. It's not just about fair. It's because there is no fair. And I always tell them that, but it's a, it's a legal issue that they're, see, this is what happens to people. They want their lawyer to tell them what they want to hear. And so lawyers tell them some of what they need to hear and some of what they want to hear and most of what they predict is going to happen in court, but they don't really know what's going to happen in court because they don't control the judge. So they do their best to predict, but the parties only hear what they want to hear. And so they're ignoring half of what their lawyer is telling them. And I mean, I have cases all day long where they walk in and I say, now, how are we going to afford to keep this house on this income? And then (laughs) in the middle of this negotiation in the day, this person realizes now they, they have to sell their house. They can't afford to stay in this house. But I'm sure their lawyer has been telling them that. I mean, I have a feeling that this is what I feel about the lawyers that I work that I work with. I don't keep statistics on whether I settle cases or not because in order to remain neutral, I don't want to know whether I settle cases or not because I can't be invested in the outcome or I wouldn't be neutral. So, but I I clearly have a good um, chance of settling cases, which is why I stay in business and I'm good at it. If a lawyer comes to me and 
wants to me to mediate their case, then they want to settle their case. They want to help their client settle it if they can. I was about to say that's, that exact yeah, thing. It's interesting. Yeah. There's a requirement in Florida family law where you have to go to mediation before you go to trial. Okay. If I have a case that I know has no chance of settling, I'm not calling Tammy to check my box. If I think there's any chance of settling, now, no matter how remote, then I'm calling mm-hmm. Tammy. And I will call Tammy on my tougher cases because I really need her skills and expertise in working with people and trying to get them to see why it is beneficial for them to settle their case. And most people, and Tammy, correct me if I'm wrong, and we're going to switch the game today. Anything we say, Pete, if Tammy and I disagrees, (laughs) she's right today, okay? Okay. But most of the good lawyers coming to her are explaining to their clients, you're not going to be happy with this deal. You just need to get a deal that you can live with. Right. I find that really fascinating. Even as an aside, if you find that mediation doesn't work on, let's just say, the rare case that that it, it doesn't work, do you find that it goes to court easier? Do you find that litiga- litigation is more gentle? Absolutely, because one of the things we do in the mediation is we, if we can't settle the case, then how are we going to streamline the litigation, right? Can the lawyers work together to agree on certain things? Can we at least okay. agree on some aspect of the case, which will reduce the cost of the litigation? Or maybe sometimes what we do is we come up with a plan to do X, Y, and Z, and then return to mediation. A lot of people end up doing that because they need more information or... So an example of that is, let's get the house appraised. Can we agree on the appraiser? Okay. If that's the big gap. Yeah. Yes, we can. And in the meantime, one of the parties wants to keep the house. Can we get them with a mortgage broker to figure out what they'll need for salary or income or how long that process is going to take? to get a better idea of what they need to do to refinance the house to get the other party's name off of the note mm-hmm. and off of the mortgage. Mm-hmm. So if we can get those agreements, right, then we go to Tammy, okay, let's write that little joint step up stipulation and let's implement that and let's get back on Tammy's calendar. I, I, I'm stuck on this idea of the imbalance of power that I'm that I, I'm hearing that mediation helps. And there were two cases that, that I wanted to get your feedback on. The first one is when you're just fighting a lot, right? How when you can't stand the sight of each other, how can you possibly go into mediation? But the other is when there is a massive disparity in power, when the spouses are one spouse makes very little money, has no job, the other spouse is incredibly wealthy. And there is that sort of intimidates. You might be scared to go sit down across the table with someone that you're separating because you're afraid that you won't get anything because the power is is in that sort of vacuum. How do you uh, assess that? How do you help through that? Or are those cases not appropriate for mediation? I, no, I, you know, even even when there's domestic violence, I still think it's appropriate for mediation. It just has to be handled carefully. It, it's clearly going to be helpful to a person who's in fear to not have to stand up in the courtroom opposite this person. If you want to see an imbalance of power, there's your imbalance of power. Okay. You, even if you have a judge and even if both sides have a lawyer, you still have to face them and it's in a high conflict environment. So 
first of all, lawyers help cure the imbalance of power. So if both people have a lawyer, I was about yeah. to ask Jeremy, how right. do I deal with imbalance right. yeah. of power? So, so they're, they're in their own room and they're, they're handling it. But what you're talking about are the pro se people that come without lawyers. So most of them kind of know how they want to settle the case. And, you know, there's a multitude of reasons why people give up things that they might be entitled to under the law. You know, they, they make certain choices. I actually give a totally different introduction when I'm working with pro se people. And one of the things I tell them is, you know, I'm not your lawyer and I can't give you legal advice. I can give you legal information. And there's going to be times during this discussion where I'm going to actually say to you, to know the answer to that, you would need to speak to a lawyer. And then I tell them, but don't call me later and tell me I told you to get a lawyer because I didn't tell you that. I told you to to answer that question, you would need to ask a lawyer. Let's be clear on the difference between legal advice and legal information because that's a nuance. Yeah. And I, I tell them, that um, if in the Supreme Court, they were trying to figure out, you know, the difference between art and pornography. This is what I tell the people because yeah. this always, they get this. And one of the justices said, I'll know it when I see it. Like, is it porn? Is it art? And yeah. so there are questions that people have during this process. For example, in, in, Hills, in Florida, you have to address in a parenting plan where a child goes to school. Okay. It is required that we put it in the plan that the parents have dealt with the school issue, you know, which address is going to be used or what they're going to do. That's legal information. When I tell people, let's address school, what would be legal advice is if I told them, this is what the judge is going to do. If you two can't agree, you're going to win or you're going to win. That's the legal advice part of it. And I don't give that part. Or it's like, well, you live in an A-rated school district. You live in a C-rated school district. You take that information, you apply it to the law hey, you have to decide, most likely a judge is going to pick the A district. That's the legal advice doing the analysis. Now I can do it, but I do it, I back into it. So I say to them, so I, I, I assume you love your kid and I think you think he loves his kid and where would you want your kids to school, go to school? And if the school were, if there were a better rated school, what do you two think would be the best thing to do? And like, I talk to them in a way that's around, I circle around it, but I can't tell them what a court would do, but I try to help them think of things that would reduce the imbalance of power so that they can come to what's best for their family without necessarily being a him against her or her against him. I just have this image that you are standing at the Emerald City building the yellow brick road, hoping you actually meet with the couple to like, you can't, <laughs> you can't actually point at it, but maybe you'll get it and they'll get on it and they'll just, everything will be fine. You'd be surprised how much people actually know what they need to do. They just, you know, they, they feed into their friends and their family and Half of what we do, I think, is saying, okay, but what do you think is best for your child? What do you think is, you know, what, or how are, or like in a case where I have a lady who needs alimony, who's going to say, um, she doesn't need any, but I, I'm thinking, how's she going to live? All I do is ask her, well, so what are you going to do? How, where are you moving? What, you know, I ask a lot of questions. And then in the answers to those questions, how, half the time the spouse will say, well, we, we need to make sure she's in a good place to live. Okay, how are we going to... You know, people actually can c- solve their own problems given the opportunity to figure it out, I think. And that was one of the things I want to touch on, Pete, is that that's the magic, the special sauce of mediation. There's a couple things that I find very valuable about mediation. One, everybody that is the decision maker should be there focused on it at the same time. Because Tammy will be in my room with my client and we'll talk about whatever issues. And then we'll say, Tammy, here's our offer. 
And then guess what Tammy does? She gets up, walks into the other room and gives them the offer. Now, she might not come back for a couple hours because there might be a lengthy offer on parenting plan. It might have all the division of assets, alimony. It might be just parenting, but she'll be in there a long time. And then she'll come back and say, here's what they agree to. Here's what they don't agree to. Here's the issues we still need to resolve. That's a whole lot quicker than me sending a full offer to an attorney through an email with an attached document. The attorney's in trial, doesn't get to it to the following week when they send it to their client. They get another two weeks before they get the client in to review it. And now a month has gone by before I even get the offer back. I'm going to get it in the next hour or two. So being focused all at the same time. Also, to Tammy's point about these other people, your friends, your family that are in your ear, I call those people ghost people. You never see them, but they're influencing things. They're not there at mediation. Yeah. Do you, do you have a no phone, no Facebook rule? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> my conference room has no phone jacks because I'm from an era where we had phones that plugged into walls. So we would actually have <laughs> confidentiality in the mediation. Now, um, nobody calls anybody while I'm in the room, but I feel certain that they talk to people when I'm not in the room. I can't really control what they do when I'm not in the room. I actually have had situations where the husband and the wife are communicating with each other. And we, as the professionals don't know that they're talking to each other during the negotiation. So they, they, they communicate some, but it is, um, it is much more difficult for people to invade the process when it's all happening here. And plus I have the ability to say to them, well, is your friend, I, I, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I know when somebody all of a sudden changes their perspective, I can tell they just talked to their mother while I was gone or right. something. And I'll say, well, is your, is your mother going to be responsible for this or do this? Or, you know, has your mother talked to your lawyer about this? Because, you know, the lawyer is giving advice and the advice is important. And people, they don't want to hear the advice sometimes because it's not what they want to hear. It disagrees with their worldview. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And the other thing on that point, if I'll have a client that, a third party, their parent is going to be helping fund the settlement. Well, now the parent, i.e. grandparent, right? Not my client, but my client's right. parent. They're the real decision maker. So I'll reach out to opposing counsel and say, listen, I know the rule at mediation. My client's not supposed to talk to anyone outside of mediation. I'm telling you, I can't control my client and tie them down in a chair. She's going to go step outside or he's going to go step outside and call the real decision maker, can I bring this decision maker into mediation and still bind them with the confidentiality? And the reason I want that is I want them to hear what Tammy's saying. Right, right. Because you don't want to play the telephone game and say, well, what about this? What about that? No, we already dealt with that. No, Tammy handled that. Okay. Tammy, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I tell them all the time, if, if someone needs to be here, that's a third party that can help us, then we rather they hear the process and not come in with their inane ideas that are outside of what we're talking about in the room. And then I tell the people in the other room, look, if grandma or boyfriend or whoever the heck it is that's come to the mediation, I'm going to give them a warning. If I find that you're not helpful, you get one warning. If you're not helpful a second time, you're kicked out. But what, what really happens is those people are tend to be less emotional and more practical because they're not, it's not them. And they can actually hear what the lawyer, they'll actually sometimes be the one who says to their family member, you know, are you listening? They're not telling you that. They're telling you this. So they tend to be helpful. Um, grandparents are a nightmare if they're, <laughs> if they're backdooring because 
they'll pay any money to fight and never money to settle. Like they'll, I can never get a grandparent to give me, like if I could settle a case for 10 grand, for example, they give that lawyer 10 grand to ante up the next retainer any day before they'll give 10 grand to their son's soon to be ex-wife or whatever. So Pete, did I mention wow. you how much I love grandparents? <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. I had no idea that grandparents were so litigious. Well, but part of my job is to help them all figure out how to move forward in their life in a better way, right? Yeah. So I have a ton of experience in dealing with a oh, multitude of families. You know, I, I tell people sometimes that, like, when you run a law practice, if you have 30 cases active at a time, that's a lot of cases for a, for a lawyer to be managing at a time. I do 30 in a month or because I do it every day and, and I only do them for a day. So they come in and they come out. They're like a mill here. But so I see just tons of stories and tons of things. And so over the years, I've learned how to interpret different things and how to say things where people can hear me maybe better. Sometimes I think that is what my job is, is just to be an interpreter. All I'm doing is saying what the one room said to the other room, but in a way that they can hear it. Otherwise they shut it down, you know? And, and at the end of that day, just to confirm, it is a binding agreement that you are if, if we write something doing. and they sign it, it's binding. Yeah. Whether they have a lawyer or not in our jurisdiction. That's that's the ideal outcome. Yeah, you know, I tell people if it's a good enough deal to sign today, it's a good enough deal to sign tomorrow. So I try not to have that pressure of you have to sign. However, if we get far in a day, and we sometimes do really long days, they can go 10 hours, 12 hours. If we get far and it doesn't get signed, sometimes it blows up when they leave me. It's like the process of being here in this in this mediation has everybody focused and everybody remembers why we are where we are. And then they leave and stuff happens. And that's the weird thing about, you know, family law. I did criminal law and criminal law is so much easier because a crime occurred on a, on a certain date. And we're all fighting about what happened on that date at that time. And in family law, it's an ongoing crime yeah, <laughs> against right. each other. It, like, it, it's there there are no constraints to the yeah, discussion. Now they're, yeah. now they're sleeping together again. Now yeah. they're, we don't know what happens from moment to moment with these people. They get in a fight over Christmas Eve and then the whole deal blew up, you know, because they can't, because it's constantly a moving target. And there's a lot of different things as opposed to a, call it a slip and fall case. Slip and fall case is going to ultimately be about how much money is going to exchange hands. You're really arguing about one thing. Tammy's arguing about a parenting plan that has numerous factors, numerous holidays, extracurriculars, who pays for them, how much. We got dividing of assets. There's a lot of things that you can do give and take on, right? As opposed to coming in with only one thing. So it's more complicated because there's so many moving parts. And sometimes for strategery, I like to say, is maybe I'm not going to settle the kid issues in, unless I get the full case settled. Maybe I'm not going to settle the money issues unless I get the full case settled. And it's not that you're trying to pin people against each other, but if I'm representing a client who's going to give up some parenting time and then get taken to the cleaners on the money, but he's trying to like settle the case, why is he going to give up on one aspect and then get totally screwed on the other, right? But other times we're like, no, we're good on parenting. Let's get it done. It doesn't really impact it. But Tammy, there's a couple things that, that you raise. I know you've done thousands and thousands of mediations. We always like people to be prepared. So what, if any advice, do you have for people when they're working with lawyers or not working with lawyers um, to be prepared for mediation? What, what makes it a successful start to a mediation? For starters, they should come to mediation sooner than later. I have cases that have been litigating for three years and they've never come. And then when they walk in, 
Neither side knows what the other side wants. It's always helpful if an offer has been exchanged prior to mediation, like this side says, this is what we'd like. And the other side says, this is how we see it. And then I know where we are. I sometimes start at nine in the morning and at one in the afternoon, I haven't taken an offer between the two rooms because the people aren't articulating what they want or they don't want to tell the other side. I think being prepared with an offer is a huge start. Having your client prepared for the reality of the outcome is another thing. People come in with these unrealistic expectations of how it's going to be. I have uh, moms with young children who think that for some reason, because they're a mom, they're going to get the kid all the time and the child shouldn't spend the night at dad's house. That's just not the law here. So they need to, the first place they hear that shouldn't be from me, you know, because it's too much to absorb in a day. So I think if you're not going to have a lawyer, I think it's always helpful to consult with one, even if you don't retain one, just to have a little bit of an idea of what's going on. Um, I think knowing what your assets and your liabilities are, they come in all the time and they're writing it up and then they go, somebody will go, what about the boat? Well, the boat has to go in the agreement. And I didn't even know you had a boat. They didn't mention it, you know, so um, there's, (laughs) they don't know what credit cards are joint, what credit cards, who's the authorized user. They don't know what their balances are. They don't know where the other person's going to move or if they're going to sell the house, what are they likely to get? Maybe they should have consulted with a realtor before they came in. They don't actually need an appraisal. But do you know that in our community, it costs about 500 bucks to get an appraisal on a house. And I have lawyers who charge that much an hour that I work with. And they'll talk, we'll talk for an hour about who's going to do the appraisal. That's three people being paid as professionals or sometimes five if I have forensic experts over an issue that could have been done for 500 bucks. Like just Come with an appraisal. Is, and, and that is the kind of information. Is that legal information or legal advice? To, to get an appraisal? No, to make is, them aware of what is happening in the room right now. Like to, to say to, to, the pe- to the couple what you just said to us on this show. Oh, Tammy says that all the time. We've <laughs> yeah. got three professionals. I've got two lawyers plus you're paying me and we're arguing over $500. Okay. I'll sometimes really... go, this cost you this much money to talk about that much money. Cause I'll tell them like you spent 15 minutes on this. This is what it cost you. And you're talking about your sofa. I imagine that information alone has got to be motivating to, to people to keep conversations going or are they, you it's, know, it's part of the main thing is to help them be practical, you know, is uh, literally <laughs> practicality and common sense. There's so many days it's missing from our environment. <laughs> Tammy, we had another guest on that says divorce isn't about winning or losing. It's about solving problems. Oh, it is truly that. I, you know, I tell parents all the time, it's not about where the kids spent the night. It's where the ballet shoes are, the cleats on Tuesday afternoon. I mean, in real life, where is your kid going to be? Who's taking them to the activity? Who's picking them up? You know, and I have parents who want to spend all day talking about, well, I don't want my kid to meet the new girlfriend. Well, the judge isn't going to do anything about that. So that's the, we work, I'm not saying I belittle that feeling, but it's a feeling that we try to work through and move on and help them be practical. Here's another question there, which I think is vitally important that I don't think clients really ever understand. And I will share this with you, Pete. When I am talking to another lawyer, and let's say they've never used Tammy before, and I'm saying, I think we should use Tammy. And they'll say, well, why do you think we should use Tammy? I've heard good stuff about her, but I haven't used her. I'll say the following. I think she's the best in town. We have a complex case. I think she'll be good for my client, which means I'm telling that lawyer, I think Tammy's going to connect with my client to help get the case settled. And then I say this. And Tammy knows how to handle me as the lawyer. 
which I think is a skill set. And part of what I think Tammy does is she not only mediates with all different personalities of people going through the divorce, she deals with different lawyers in their personalities. And I think, Tammy, if you could just talk about how that impacts the mediation and you can make fun of me all you want. Well, on no, this. a good advocate believes their own BS, you know, so I'm constantly looking at the advocate and saying, um, are you sure? Pete, <laughs> that was very it. nice. You didn't comment on that. Just get up <laughs> in the background. That was lovely. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that, that a good lawyer does is say, you know, this is what I think the outcome is likely to be, but here are some of the arguments we can make. And those arguments, the clients often buy into that as the reality instead of just an argument. And sometimes my job is to bring everybody back around and say, well, is this an argument? Is this, are we talking about what's really likely to happen? I have lawyers all the time also tell me, well, you, you said something that made me think about it from a different perspective because they get very polarized with their clients. Sometimes this is really emotional work. Um, when you talk about a counselor at law, <laughs> the lawyers aren't, we're not therapists, but boy, are they helping these people move through. I mean, when you, when you deal with loss in your life, they have like this list of things, you know, like losing a child, losing a spouse to death, right? And then the other ones are divorce, ma- moving, and and losing your job. And in divorces, we have almost three of those every time because we have they lose a house, they lose a job. Sometimes they have it's insane with their the loss they're dealing with that you're struggling as the lawyer to manage. And then I come in and try to help put maybe a lid on the pot, keep it from simmering over. Try to help people. I tell them we can be more creative too. That's another advantage we have. It's a big point. Yeah. We can do things in mediation that the court will rubber stamp and sign off on, but the court cannot of its own volition do. So for example, um, if Seth is in court with his client and he wants to prove up the value of a car, he has to prove to the court what the value is. The other side has to prove what they the value is. And then the court has to pick one of those values. The court can't take an average. But in mediation, I could say, that's, we're so close. Let's take an average on that. What do you guys think about using her value on this? If he'll use your value on that, there's, these are things the judge can't do, but the judge can stamp off on, you know? And there's other things that happen in, you know, Florida law, check your local jurisdiction, but sometimes we'll have clients agree to pay for an adult child's education college. In Florida, a judge cannot order anyone to pay a parent to pay for their adult child's education. But that's okay when it comes to a negotiated, like a mediated settlement. settlement. A mediated settlement, the judge will sign off on it and now make it a court order and it's a contract between the parties. So for example, I could have a mom who's so worried about her kid going to college that she's demanding an alimony amount and term that the husband will never agree to. But if he were agree to pay to college, which he might tell me I'm going to do anyway, she might say, well, then I don't need as much money because even though alimony isn't for her to pay for her kid to go to college, that's what she's planning to use it for. And so being able to analyze what is their ultimate goal and have them analyze their ultimate goal and have them try to figure out how to resolve it all. That's really what we're trying to do is say the right things to people to let people come up with their own solutions. And the other benefit too, Pete, when Tammy works with lawyers, she'll go into the other room and say, I've been working with Seth for 13, 14, 15 years now. And when he says he's done, he's done. He's advising his client to get up and leave mediation because sometimes that's what it takes to say, this is our bottom line. And sometimes then they come back and say, okay, we'll go to court. And other times we're like, okay, let's get this done. Okay. And so you have to be clear with the mediator 
what your bottom line is. And I'm not just talking always about drawing lines in the sand because there's a lot of ways to do a deal. But it's helpful, I think, in what Tammy does especially well is learn personalities quickly. She's done so many of them. She can gauge what the lawyer knows and doesn't know. Is the problem the lawyer? Is the problem the client? Is a little bit of, sometimes she'll mediate between the lawyer and the client because they're not communicating. That happens a lot. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, tell them about that. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'll say, um, I I think that um, what I'm hearing this person say is this. So it's not often about what I'm thinking. It's often about what I tell them I'm hearing. And and so then the the lawyer might be so positional on something that they're not actually listening. For example, in, in Hillsborough County, even though this isn't the law, a lot of our judges start with a presumption of a 50-50 timesharing schedule. And I'll have a lawyer who is encouraging their client to do a 50-50 timesharing schedule. And I'll hear a dad saying, but I travel so much and I can't really do that. And I'm just going to be failing at that. And I, I want, they want less time, but the lawyer is saying, but you're going to get more time in court, but that's not what this person wants or needs. And so you have to kind of really be able to hear what is happening in each room. All the, I, part of my struggle is how many things are happening at once and, and what I can say, what I can't say, um, not revealing. See, if I reveal information, I'm not supposed to reveal one time to Seth. He knows what the other room wouldn't want me to say. So if I were to walk into Seth's room and say something that he knows I shouldn't have said because the other room wouldn't have wanted me to, he would never use me again. So this is like a constant barometer that I have of what I can say. And a lawyer might say to me, do you think we have any more space? Like, will the other room move? And I can't say, yeah, the other room's going to move the other rooms, but I can, sometimes I'll say, I really am concerned about making this offer because I think you're going to lose them. So those are the kind of things I can say where I'm picking up cues and I want to let them know if you ask for that, I think you're taking it one step too far because I am reading the temperature in both rooms. And that's the key to a great meter. She's the only one, Pete, that knows what's really happening in both rooms. I, I, before I know we're getting to wrapping up here, but I just have this one question that I've been, I've been noodling over because you said something earlier that really surprised me. Uh, that even in cases of domestic abuse, you believe that mediation is a is a, a reasonable start. Uh, if that's the case, what are the red flags? How do you know when mediation isn't right? I assumed that would have been a red line, that mediation isn't appropriate, even in cases of abuse. But Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to put a person who is a victim of domestic violence in the same room at, at a mediation. And the gift of Zoom is now, if someone were a victim of domestic violence, ideally we could Zoom them, okay? Because they don't even have to come to the same building. Now, historically, I have this thing, and uh, if, if, you're, if you're in the room, you're not allowed to leave the room unless I'm in the room with the other person and because I, I want to make sure they never run into each other at my office. But there is, a, there is a value in being able to speak openly to the mediator and then have the mediator review. When I leave a room, I almost always say, okay, this is what I'm going to say. This is how I'm going to say it. And the, the victim for example, can hear how it's going to sound in there. And they, they can tell me, oh, that's going to make this person really mad or that's, but the, the bottom line is they have their goals. How do you get them their goals? They might not get that from a court. And that's what I was going to say, Pete, is it seems, and I appreciate the question, like, oh my God, domestic violence, how are you going to mediate that? Well, what happens in Florida is someone files what's called a petition for domestic violence injunction. If you check the boxes and say the right things, the judge will enter that immediately. No hearing, no nothing. Have, the other side hasn't had their day in court. 
But then you have a hearing 14 days later, and then the other side gets to tell their side of the story. So if you truly believe that you've been a victim of domestic violence, and let's assume that you have, there's still a risk that you go to court and you don't win. So can you go to mediation and get an agreement for this other person to stay away from you, but give up something else? Like maybe if they do violate it and um, they don't get arrested, but you can still have the power of the court to enforce it and do other things to make sure they do it. But there is always, always, always a risk of going to court because I can tell you all day what a judge should do in a range I can never tell you what the judge will do because sometimes they'll get it wrong. Fascinating. This, this has been fantastic. Uh, Tammy, thank you so much for, for hanging out with You're us uh, on the podcast today. Where would you like people to go learn a little bit more about you or, or any resources that you could share about, you know, if they want to learn more about mediation and, and the tools at your disposal? You know, if you type the word into the internet, you will read on many mediators websites what it's what it's about what to expect um almost all of the courthouse um websites have a whole because they have like here we have our own mediation and diversion services program where you can go to court and use a mediator the problem with that is they're they give them two hour windows and i in my opinion it always takes longer than two hours to settle a case and that's why you know we we give more time but it's a negotiation is what it is. And it's a negotiation with using a person who is skilled at negotiating because most people get divorced because they don't know how to communicate with each other. So you're bringing in a communicator to help you um, move between the rooms. That's what the mediator is supposed to do is help with the communication to help the people actually articulate what it is that they want so they can work through that. Well, we sure appreciate you being here and uh, you know your constant effort to wrangle Seth. Oh, I, let me tell you, I got <laughs> out of this one light. I thought, I thought Tamara was going to say, well, when Seth is in my room, this is how I handle him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, it, it's been great. Check out links in the show notes, everybody. We appreciate your time and attention for hanging out with us. On behalf of Seth Nelson and Tammy Spar. I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.